Um, I feel like the first thing I should do this morning is just kind of name the obvious, and that is this. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it really, it really is amazing. I mean, and here is what is amazing about it. Eight years ago, a group of about 25 people started a church here in this neighborhood called the Summit Church. Raise your hand if you're part of the Summit Church. Awesome, yes. So eight years ago, you guys started with this group of 25 people, and then two years ago, um, we started this little church together with about 30 of us called the Heights Church. Raise your hand if you're part of the Heights Church. Yes, I love it. I love it. And those two churches have become this thing, which is absolutely amazing. But here's what's even more amazing. Today we're getting together and we're celebrating launching a third church. Uh, and, and yeah, yeah, this is awesome. Uh, and uh, we're launching a third church called the Oaks Church. Raise your hand if you're a part of the Oaks Church. A lot of folks back here. Here's what I really want us to do. Give it up for the folks that are going with the Oaks Church with me real quick. And the best, way to think about, the best way to think about this thing is that it's like this snowball that started really small and it started at the top of this hill and it's rolling down this hill and every year we get together this thing is getting bigger and it's rolling faster and more things are happening and more churches are being planted and it really is amazing. But here is, here's why I bring your attention to like the summit and the heights and the oaks and the snowball because that snowball tells us something. Uh, that is so important that we just want to name and celebrate as we get together as this group of churches called the Mile High Family Churches every year. That snowball tells us this reality, that Jesus really is alive. Listen, he really is. Like, he's real. And sometimes we pretend like he's not real for some reason. I don't know why we live like that, but this is one time a year we get to come together and we go, wow, he's alive. But not only is he alive, not only is he raised up out of the grave, but he's, he's delivering on his promise to build his church, and he's doing it in the heart of one of the most secular cities in North America. Incredible, incredible, incredible stuff. This is amazing. And listen, as normal as life feels, raise your hand if you feel really normal. Like, I just feel normal, okay? I was, like, reading my book and going to bed last night, and I was just feeling normal. As normal, as normal as life is, like, he's doing it through us. And it really is amazing for his glory through normal people like us. But here's the reality. We didn't get together uh, today to be like, forgive the analogy, Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite and talk about how awesome the glory days are and how awesome what we used to do is, you know, like we could throw the pigskin a quarter mile over the, those there mountains back in the 80s. We didn't get together to dwell in the past. We gather together every year to talk about how this movement that started with the summit eight years ago, was we were planted, now we're planting this, how this movement centered on Jesus is going to go forward through normal, everyday people like us. Because I believe, here's what I believe, if this is what he's done in eight years, how much more does Jesus want to do in the next state, and the next state after that, and the next state after that? I just believe he has more for us. And so in order to talk to you about that today, I want to introduce you to a formula. And this formula is going to be really simple, and this formula that I want to introduce you to is a formula that has stood at the heart of every major movement of God, not only in the Bible, but also throughout church history. And so here's the formula. I want to introduce you to this formula. It's going to be on the screen, I believe. Yes, discontentment. Discontentment plus prayer equals movement. Discontentment 
plus prayer equals movement. If you're a note taker, take down this note. This is the big idea of everything that I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. Here's another way of saying this formula, that movement happens, a movement of God happens as a discontentment lodges down in the soul with the spiritual status quo in God's people. And that discontentment then leads God's people to cry out for a movement of God where God hears his people and moves. Discontentment plus prayer equals movement. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to walk through this formula, and I'm going to show you this formula um, as it plays itself out in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And so if you have a Bible, grab your Bible, open it up to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Um, If you're like me and I was told right now to find Habakkuk, I'd be like, that's going to take me an hour and a half. And so if that's you, if that's you, all of this is going to be on the screen as well and would love, love, love for you to follow along in any way that you choose. So the first thing I want to show you is this first part of the formula that is discontentment. Jump in, starting in Habakkuk 1, looking at verse 2 with me. It says this, O Lord, so Habakkuk's crying out to God, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. It's a bold prayer. Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Now, if you opened up your Bible, most of your Bibles, the people who edited it together, sorry, that's a hard little combo there, Uh, the people who put it together put this really helpful note right above verse 2 that says this, Habakkuk's complaint. And so in this series of verses, Habakkuk is giving a complaint to the Lord. Now, a little bit of context, so it makes sense why he would be complaining. Habakkuk was written while God's people are in a spiritual wasteland. They are disconnected from God. They're disconnected from his power. They're dead to his presence. And this guy named Habakkuk is living in the middle of it, and there is this discontentment bubbling up in the core of who he is that leads him to go before the Lord praying. Verse 2, O Lord, how how long shall I cry for help? How long are we going to be in this spiritual wasteland? And if you were to read the whole book of Habakkuk, which I would really encourage you to do, it's only three chapters. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to read three chapters. If you were to read the whole book of Habakkuk, the first two chapters of Habakkuk are really this this complaint before the Lord, this discontentment pervades the first two chapters of the book of Habakkuk, where Habakkuk is essentially saying something like this. I'm looking at my reality, and I'm lifting my eyes up, and I'm looking at the people around me, and I'm not seeing God at work in the way that I know he can work. I'm not seeing people experience him and enjoy him. I'm not seeing his power and his presence displayed when I pay attention to this place that I'm living in. When I look around and I survey the spiritual condition of the city that I am living in, it seems like God's a thousand miles away. And here's the key line. And Habakkuk's saying, I'm I'm not okay with it. Now what we see unfolding here is the first ingredient of a movement of God. And that is this, a discontentment with the spiritual status quo rising up in the people of God. Where people like us who would consider ourselves God's people, where people like us become bothered by, weighed down with, 
the spiritual condition of the people around us. But here's the reality. It's not this bothered by, this discontentment where you get in a room like this and you have really good music and you get really pumped about Jesus and you're like, yeah, there's something really wrong. Like, we got to be discontent. It's not this discontentment that you can come and acknowledge and then, and then leave here and pretend like it's somebody else's problem. As you go and you watch the Fire Festival documentary or the Super Bowl or whatever you're into. You're like where you're able to like leave this place and just ignore it. But it's this discontentment, the discontentment that we see in the book of Habakkuk, specifically in the first two chapters of Habakkuk, is this discontentment that lodges so deep down in your soul that it leads you to say this line, man, I've got to do something about this. Like, I'm, not, I'm so not okay with the spiritual condition of the people around me. I've got to do something. It's a discontentment that leads to action. And that action is the next uh, piece of the formula. That action is prayer or crying out to God. Discontentment plus prayer. So after two chapters of discontentment rising up, in chapter 3 of the book of Habakkuk, he erupts in this prayer on behalf of the people who are in the spiritual wasteland that he is so bothered by. And so you've got two chapters of him going, God, I... I am not okay with the spiritual condition of the people around me. And he says it over again and over again and over again and over again. And this discontentment is boiling up in him. And he erupts in this incredible prayer. Look at the beginning of this prayer with me, starting in Habakkuk 3, verse 2. He says this, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Stop right there. So here's what he's saying in the first part of his prayer. His prayer. Lord, I know what kind of God you are. God, I know all of the things that you used to do. God, I know that you're the God that created everything out of nothing in Genesis 1 and 2. I know you're that God. I know you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that did amazing stuff through them. I know you're the God of Moses who like spoke to him in a burning bush and then used him to lead your people through the sea that you split. I know you're that God. I know you're the God that brought your people out of the wilderness into the promised land. I know you're that God. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I like, stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. And then he prays this. Those things that you used to do, Repeat them in our day, in our time. Just think about begging, begging the Lord for this. In our time, make them known. In wrath, God, I know that so many of these people have walked away from you. In wrath, remember mercy. Translation, God, I'm aware of what you used to do. I've seen it. I've heard people talk about it. I'm aware of what you used to do but I don't want to live in the glory days. Do it again right now in our day, Habakkuk's praying. Pour out your creative power before our eyes. Recreate us. Bring our dead nothing to, to life. In our time, make your redemptive work known. The kind that you used to do, do that stuff now. And what we see unfold in the book of Habakkuk is a paradigm for movement. It is a discontentment that wells up in the people of God that leads the people of God 
to cry out a Habakkuk 3-2 prayer on behalf of the people around them. And as we back, back up from that, we find ourselves sitting, I'm standing, you're sitting, we needed to know that. <laughs> and as we back up from that, we find ourselves sitting right here in the middle of downtown. And just go with me here in a really similar situation that Habakkuk found himself in. Surrounded by millions of people who are blind to who God really is. Surrounded by millions of neighbors and friends and coworkers that have never heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus that by God's grace, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, they can know the God that created them and be satisfied in Him. They're blind to His grace, blind to His love, blind to His power, blind to His care. And here's what makes this even worse. They're thirsting for it at the same time. And the question that should haunt every single one of us is this. Do we care? And I want you to make this like really personal because this is where all of this starts. This is where the movement will begin to continue through us. Is as we ask ourselves this question, do I care? Jesus called this loving your neighbor. Just caring about the spiritual condition of the people around us. Do you care? And this week while I was writing this and just imagining what could happen if the Lord turned all of us into many modern-day Habakkuk's on behalf of our city. Like, what could happen if the Lord would use this moment to spur a movement of prayer on behalf of this city? What could happen if we became so discontent with the spiritual condition of the people that we claim to love that live next door to us and work in the cubicle next to us, we became, that we became so discontent with that that it led us to cry out a Habakkuk 3-2 prayer. God, we know your works. We know that you're the, go with me, the God of the incarnation who draws near to broken, sinful people. We know you're that God. We know you're the God of the cross who would lay your life down so that sinful people could be forgiven of their sin and welcomed into friendship with you. We know you're that God. God, we know your works. God, we know that you're the God of the resurrection who has defeated the greatest enemy of, of humanity, and that is death. God, we know you're that God. God, we know that you're the God of the church in Acts that pours out your spirit in power. And when you do that, thousands of people, like Acts 2, 3,000 people are just like, okay, I want to know this Jesus. God, we know you're that God. God, would you revive those works in our day, in our time, in our city, before our eyes? Would you make them known? And I'm just praying, what I've been praying is that this would become a paradigm that all of us, not only like the leaders and people that are passionate about prayer, but all of us would adopt. That we would lift up our head and look out over our city and become so discontent 
that it leads us to this crying out, God, I'm so overwhelmed by the spiritual condition of the people around me. The only thing I know to do is to cry out on their behalf to you. But they're skeptics. And here's how I know that, because I am one. And if I was sitting in your shoes, I'd be like, yeah, of course, like Habakkuk can do that. They named a book of the Bible after him. Or like, you've probably thought this before, yeah, I know you're saying like, what if God could do Acts 2 stuff here? But like, that's Acts. Come on, man. And the question behind that skepticism is this, does God really do stuff, still do stuff like that? Because the majority of us have never seen anything like that. And we're like, can God really do that? Like, if we really gave ourselves to discontentment and prayer, will God really move on behalf of our measly prayers? Well, the answer is yes. And here's how I know that, because he did it 70 years ago. He's done it more recently than that, but I want to tell you the story of how God used two older ladies, 82 and 84, who became so discontent with the spiritual condition of the people around them that they just began to pray. On a group of islands uh, off the coast of Scotland called the Scottish Hebrides, through the prayers of two women, God unleashed his power. And as we ask the question, can God really do this here? The answer is yes. There's a work called Revival in the Hebrides uh, written by a guy named Duncan Campbell. And he begins to talk about these two ladies like this. This is going to be on the screen. He says this about these two ladies, 82 and 84. They were so burdened that both of them decided to spend so much time in prayer twice a week. On Tuesday... You're like, where is this going? It's okay. On Tuesday, they got on their knees at 10 o'clock in the evening and remained on their knees until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Two old women in a very humble cottage. I don't know what you were doing last Tuesday from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., but these ladies became so burdened, it sa he says, they became so burdened by the spiritual condition of people around them, they were like, we've just got to begin to cry out to God. Well, one thing led to another, and these ladies' prayers over time, and the book makes it really clear if you read about this, it took time. Like, it didn't just happen immediately. Over time, these ladies' prayers turned into a prayer meeting, and it all came to a head on one night as this prayer meeting came together in this guy's house whose last name was Smith. He was a blacksmith. That's how it worked in those days. A smith named Smith. And the account of what happened on this night in this prayer meeting as these normal people, a couple older ladies, a blacksmith named Smith came together to pray. Let me read this to you. One night, they crowded into the home of the blacksmith a smith named Smith. Love that. If your last name's Smith, that's probably where it came from. But the spiritual atmosphere was dry. I love that. Anybody ever trying to pray? This was my quiet time this morning. And it was just like, man, I just feel like this is dry. 
but his spiritual atmosphere was dry. A sense of deadness prevailed one after an, as one after another tried to break through in prayer. Duncan Campbell, a visiting evangelist, called on Mr. Smith to pray. The prayer was short and sharp. Here's what Mr. Smith prayed. Oh God, you made a promise to pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And Lord, it's not happening. Discontentment. Like, God, you said you would do this, and I'm sitting here, and I am dry as a bone. He paused and then continued in a rising voice. You thought that was bold. Just listen to this prayer. Lord, I do not know how Mr. Campbell or these other men stand with you, but if I know my own heart, I know that I'm thirsty. Anybody else feel thirsty for the Lord? It's like, yes! I know that I'm thirsty. You have promised to pour water on him who is thirsty. If you don't do it, how can I ever believe you again? Your honor is at stake. You're a covenant-keeping God. Fulfill your covenant engagement. Here's what most of you are thinking as I read the prayer of Mr. Smith. Can you really talk to God like that? (laughs) The answer is yes. Because look at what happens. At that instant, the granite house shook like a leaf in Acts 4. And a power was unleashed that swept the entire parish. Campbell said, I could only stand in silence as wave after wave of divine power swept through the house. And in a matter of minutes, following this heaven-sent visitation, men and women were on their faces in distress of soul. That means when God comes, people get serious about God. He stepped outside and discovered that the whole village was astir. Though it was 11 o'clock at night, people with lanterns and flashlights were making their way along the roads and across the fields toward the meeting place as if summoned by a silent bell. How did that happen? Two very normal ladies became so discontent with the spiritual condition of the people around them. They became so fed up with the spiritual condition of the people around them that it led them to prayer, saying, God, would you come and visit us? And one thing led to another after this particular night. And over the course of the next few years, there was a massive returning to the Lord on their island and the surrounding islands. And I just think about the prayer from Habakkuk 3.2. Lord, we know your works. And if you're the God that could do it through Habakkuk, and you're the God who can do it through the church in the book of Acts, and you're the God who can do it through these two old ladies and a blacksmith named Smith. Why not now? Revive your work in our day, Lord, in our time. Make them known. Discontentment plus prayer equals movement. Over the next few minutes, we're going to move into a time of prayer where we're just going to humble ourselves before God. And pray some of these things. Believing 
that what God used to do, he can still do. And so here's how this is going to work. I'm going to pray in just a second, and as I pray, the band is going to come up, and we're going to have a representative from each of our churches. All three churches come, and they're going to lead us in a time of prayer based on some of these things for the other church. You're going to see how this works. Uh, It's not going to be confusing at all as they lead us in prayer. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. I don't want you to participate in this passively, just kind of watching what's going on on the stage. I want to invite you to posture yourself to participate in what's going on up here on the stage. That you would, if you need to get on your knees just to posture yourself to participate, if you need to just lift your hands up, if you need to close your eyes, whatever you need to do, I want to encourage you to posture yourself to participate in this time of prayer. I'm going to pray for us as I pray. If you're in the band, you can come up. If you're one of the people praying, you can come up. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we really do love you. And I pray that this morning you would lodge a discontentment so deep down in our hearts that we can't shake it. That we wouldn't leave this place and get so distracted by Citigroup Super Bowl parties and all of the stuff going on in our week, but that you would so lodge this down in our soul that we couldn't shake it, that we'd become so discontent with the spiritual climate of our city that a movement of prayer would happen. And we would become people who cry out to you to move on behalf of this city. There are so many other elements of a movement, God. Your people's obedience and mission. Like we could have talked about a thousand things, but I believe that it starts here. A discontentment leading to crying out causes a movement. And so God, in our day, in our time, would you revive your work so that we can see thousands, tens of thousands come to know life in Jesus. So that we can see churches multiplied endlessly for your glory, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen.